six years as I've kind of carried this uh, this word inside of me, and so she's heard it a lot, and so, yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm Lauren Cabrera. I, if you don't know that, um, I've been at the ARC for five and a half years. I'm on staff. I, I, I lead the college group. Yeah, yeah ACG. Um, I'll probably share more of my story a little bit later as it relates to what I'm going to talk about. But as we're going through this series on being consumed in his mission, uh, our executive team and senior pastors were in draft mode about what, what topics uh, were on the Lord's heart. And uh, they, they uh, made a touch point with staff and asked for our input. This was input land. So in input land, I said, oh, I feel like, I really feel like there should be a talk on loving our city. So I'll just leave that. And then um, I kept working. Um, and then the next thing I knew, uh, Pastor Suki was like, great, I love it. Now you preach it. <laughs> so so that's, that's, that's the explanation <laughs> for this. Um, I wasn't expecting that. Um, but... I'm thankful for it because in the past, however long it's been since she asked me to speak, I've been able to reflect on things that Jesus has been showing me for about seven years and things that I've been carrying for that long. Yeah, and I'm excited to share his, his love for our city. Uh, I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, my, my language, though. Um, I'll, I'll be saying our city a lot in this talk, and so the, the, the city that's closest on my heart is Berkeley, um, and that's the city that the Ark was born out of love for, but our church has expanded, and now we represent a wider Bay Area. We're almost like our own little Decapolis. I actually counted. We're like 13 cities or so that our members are part of, not including our remote members in this Bay Area. And so as, I'm to, as I say loving the city, um, if, I, if you feel left out because you're like, oh, her example's about Berkeley and um, I don't live there, it's okay. Um, think about our city as the larger Bay. And, and if you're visiting, I really hope that there's something here that's encouraging that you can take home to your home city as well. I'm going to give an overview of some um, historical highlights about things that have happened, things that God has done in, in this region and in this city. And then we're going to jump into a, a few scriptural pillars, I think, where God's been revealing his nature and his mission through the, through the word. Yeah, so history time. Um, so the, this is not a comprehensive history by any means. This is not... Uh, representative of like many communities that have um, and cultures that have inhabited this this land and this region before us. This is really just a summary of some of the things that Jesus has done here that I, I feel are worth highlighting. I'm not from here. I'm from Lake Tahoe, uh, so I, I still feel pretty young in this region actually. But God is so active here. He is so active here, and He has been all along. I think the first date that I'll start with is 1860. That was the, um, the Christian foundation of what is now UC Berkeley. The phrase uh, fiat lux didn't come from, it means let there be light. It was inspired by Christian <coughs> principles. The university was actually commissioned to be a place to send people into Christian learning. 
Um, there's Founders Rock up on the corner of uh, the, whatever the north, the the, the north whatever uh, corner of the campus. I'll, I'll I'll take you there sometime or whatever. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a rock. It's called Founders Rock, and there the the men that were first dedicating the university dedicated it to Christian learning. And there was a missional call to it as well. Um, uh, first Presbyterian Church in Berkeley uh, was founded in 1878. So faithful. In the 1950s, First Presbyterian of Berkeley accounted for 10% of all Presbyterian missionaries worldwide. Yeah. I think Joel Kim told me that. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that sounds extra smart and insightful, Joel. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a lot of respect and honor for First Presbyterian. Um, and then I started hearing about this city in like 2007 when I was first baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I started moving in a community of Christians that cared about the active voice of God, believing that he still speaks. And so these Christians that believe that God still speaks, which we do here, um, they, they kept talking about this city, Berkeley. Yeah, it really caught my attention. And then I would be at events like Jesus Culture when I was in junior high. Um, and someone would share something about a prophetic word of a move of God coming to UC Berkeley. Those people didn't go to UC Berkeley. The prophets were just hearing things. And the Lord was highlighting the city a lot to me. It's not a city that I would naturally be particularly drawn to. Um, that's kind of just some background. There was, I mean, some names, I could throw out names of people who prophesied and things, but I think as a Christian who comes to Berkeley, I, and I meet a lot of students because of the ministry work that I do, a lot of them are, are shocked to find Christians here. They're shocked to find an active Jesus here. I was, I thought I'd be the only Christian here. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I was gonna do everything all by myself. And then, and then I met these two amazing people and the church that they lead and the other churches in our community that have been so faithful. And I was shocked because presently, the world does not know Berkeley as a place where Jesus is moving. But that's going to change because his word does not return void. And every prophetic word over this region and this city is just, it's, it's hanging in the atmosphere waiting for the body of Christ to agree with it, to speak it again and again and again until it manifests. I'm going to talk about, like if, you, if you're taking notes and you like this, the next header is called God Loves Cities. Okay? And I want to start by saying that as I've, been, as I've been praying and I've been prepping for this talk, I feel the Lord's heart is very tender. If you know someone who's very tender-hearted, you know that sometimes if they're being very vulnerable with you about something, it could, like, they're aware that this could go horribly wrong if the treasure they offer, you kind of like, whatever, to, or it could go, it could, it could go really well 
and they can feel loved by you. I feel like Jesus is offering us a very tender and vulnerable heart, being very brave with his heart, willing to be um, hurt or loved with what we do with it. So I wanted you to carry that with me. God loves cities. Why? Because cities are, are homes for people, and people are the most precious thing God made. Cities are where people can come together and, and be one and build families and, and create together and pursue things together. And people are the most precious thing God made. So we've learned to inhabit cities. Cities are so precious to God that his whole story is going to end in a city, in the New Jerusalem. as a people together that share that space and that heart and that, and that, that land together. I want to read from Luke 19. That might be a thing I sent Lily. Did I send that to you, sweetie? Luke 19. This is verses 11 through 19. Give me some context. This is Jesus sharing a parable. We're, we love parables in this church, so we know these. But um, I want to go there again. It matters. Verse 11, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him. We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they'd gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your minas earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, Take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. It doesn't go very well for the third guy. <laughs> and it's, um, it's not quite what we're talking about. He doesn't get cities. And so we're talking about cities today. Um, he gets in trouble. But these ones get cities. God treasures cities, and he gives them only after trust is established. That's how much he, he could have given them other things. He chose to give them cities. Later in that same chapter, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem as, like, it's the Hosanna part. He's coming in as king. And he's, he, he sees Jerusalem and he, he, looks, he looks over the city and he starts to weep. Another transi- uh, translation could say he starts to wail. Because even though in that moment they're shouting Hosanna, he knows that's not going to last. He's the promised Messiah and many don't see that. They're actually going to demand his crucifixion. 
and he sees how the city's going to be seized and destroyed, and he starts speaking over Jerusalem, his broken heart, because he sees what not seeing Jesus rightly leads to. His heart's broken for this city. You guys know about Jonah? I sometimes laugh because his stories feel so ridiculous, but I don't know that I would be any different. Um, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but the part, so summary of the story is Jonah's a prophet. God sends Jonah to Nineveh to tell them they are sinning and they need to stop or he's going to destroy the city. And he does not go there. He runs away from God. He gets swallowed by a big fish. God confronts him in the fish. Fish spits him out, and he goes to Nineveh. And he preaches. They're sinning. This is such a paraphrase. But we're getting to the part where the, the city turns and repents. They're like, let's turn. Maybe God will have compassion and mercy. We could go there. The Jonah one. This is in Jonah chapter 4. When God saw, I'm sorry, this is chapter 3 at the very end. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he threatened. So the city is saved because they turned to God. Jonah's mad. He's mad. He's sitting up there on a hill, and God makes a little vine, and the vine's giving him shade, and then a little God sends a worm. The worm eats the thing, and the thing dies, and wind blows and takes it away, and he is mad. God says to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry. I'm angry enough to die. That's so dramatic. <laughs> but the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. He even cares about the cows. Should I not be concerned about this great city? The way God confronts our priorities is staggering. God has compassion on broken cities. He longs for repentance. He longs to pour out compassion. Next big header. <laughs> the church must love the city. The ark is called here. The ark and the Bay Area are inextricable. We're not floating around like a traveling show. This is where we're called. People love the ark. That's great. It really is. I'm glad we love each other. Be really, yeah, I'm really glad. <laughs> but I've heard it said, I love the ark, but I hate the bay. 
wouldn't stay in the bay if it weren't for the ark. And I'm sure people here who may be from other churches might be able to, that might resonate. There is a frustration that can come when you're in a, a city. God wants to change that thinking. If we love, if, if, he, if he loves the ark, and he loves the city. We love the ark. We love the city. Because the ark and the city cannot be separated. We need to love our city. And this talk isn't so much about the like, the how do we love our city? What ministries and things like, this is such a good conversation to have about where do we sow? Where do we put our resources? How do we make connections with people who are in local government? Think like, um, are we taking care of the poor and the homeless? This so matters, but what has to come first is our hearts have to be willing. We have to be willing to love. In the Bible, churches are identified by their city. Okay, Church of Corinth, Colossae, Ephesus, Galatia. And the cities are judged, and the churches are judged. Matthew 10, um, I think you put it up. Jesus is giving his disciples uh, guidelines because he's sending them out in pairs to do some ministry. And he's giving them guidelines about what to do with the things that they're going to experience. And, and then if they're, if they're rejected, um, and here he says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. And then he goes on to say, I'm not sure I gave you this one I meant to, that it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Cities are judged. Well, church, churches are judged too. It's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's really not funny. Go to Revelation um, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. In verses 1 through 4, I know we're jumping around a lot. The reality is this whole book is full of God loves cities. God loves cities. So that's why we move so much. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. This is, this is Jesus. And walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you fall and repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and move your lampstand from its place. This is God talking to the church in Ephesus. 
um, we would be careless to only love our church and not love our city. Uh, yeah, Lord help us. We will be judged. We're directly connected to this land. We're responsible for it. That's both beautiful and terrifying. Which is why the heart of this talk matters. Because how do we function under the weight of that? We can't just be scared of judgment because fear doesn't compel love. Fear can get us to our knees and compel us to do good deeds in the city, but fear can't change our hearts. Mama Vera says it really well. She says, you can't pray for a city you don't love. So how do we get real love for our city? I'm not, I'm not talking about the consumerist love, the Instagram love. I love Paris. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about real, real love. So strong it won't quit. Even when we face smaller things like parking tickets or our cars towed or we get cussed out on the streets and or or the bigger things like getting unjustly fired from corrupt spaces and um, separation from family how do we take in all of that and still love our city only one thing strong enough to inspire real love for a broken city, and that's our God. You love him, Ark, I know you do. And we get to love him more and more all of our lives. Loving God's not a passive thing, though. Love isn't something that just happens to you as a passive experiencer. Love's a choice. Remember that moment when Jesus is like, Peter, do you love me? Jesus had a cry, and he had a, a commission for Peter in that encounter. He said, feed my sheep. Jesus has a commission and an encounter for us. Next header, answer his cry. We're going to read Isaiah 6. I love Isaiah 6. Okay, is everyone okay? okay? I'm glad you've laughed sometimes because it's also heavy and I want you to have fun too. <laughs> so, um, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Actually, hold on, context. Isaiah is a prophet, a prophet of the Lord who carried a lot of hard words about the Lord's judgment on the land. Really heavy stuff. Heavy, heavy call. <coughs> his words also carried so much promise, though, of the Lord's love and his redemption plan. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs. 
That means flaming serpent in Hebrew. That's the kind of angels. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Then he takes Isaiah into a word. But I think for today, for us, Jesus is really interested in that encounter, that that moment of God crying and Isaiah crying back. And that's what we're going to lean into. In this encounter, God wasn't calling him by name, Isaiah, Isaiah, will you go for me? He was just calling out. Who would listen? Who would answer? You know that verse in 2 Chronicles about the eyes of the Lord searching to and fro throughout the earth, seeking the hearts that are fully committed to him? He's, he's looking. We often want a personal calling. And sometimes it's like that. And it's beautiful. Sometimes it's not like that, though. Sometimes it's just God crying. Isaiah doesn't reason with God. Lord, if you are calling me, I will go. Are you talking to me? Do you want me to go, God? Show me your will, God. What's your will, God? No, he knows God's will. God's on the throne crying. He just answers the cry of the one he loves. Here I am, send me. He doesn't need his name called. We get super excited about destiny, don't we? Beloved, our destiny is to be with Jesus. Do the callings and the assignments get more specific than that? Yeah, sometimes they do. But sometimes God's just crying and looking for someone to respond. 
What if I told you that God was crying out over our city? Have you ever heard it? It's okay if you it's okay if you haven't. If you haven't, are you willing to ask him to show you his cry over the Bay Area or wherever you call home? Be aware, though, because we love him. When we hear his cry, it will consume us. That's not don't do it. That's just, just know. You can't hear the cry of someone that you love and not respond. I'll share a little bit about my story. I was on the mission field after high school. I was doing stuff in Cambodia and Thailand, and I was there for a few months. And when I got back, um, the natural thing to do was to go to um, community college. And I felt so much destiny and calling and specific anointing on my life on the mission field. And I, I wanted that again. I wanted more of, more of that. Lauren, Lauren, this is your assignment. And I was just pretty lost in community college. And, um, and, but again, going back to how Berkeley had been kind of on the back of my mind, I kept hearing about this city. Um, my mom and dad asked me, in uh, 2012, December 2012. Um, hey, sweetie, you're turning uh, 19 or whatever. Um, do you, what do you want to do for your birthday? And I was like, you know what, actually, I want to visit UC Berkeley. And I got on, I'm going to go with you and dad. So just the three of us, my mom, my dad, and me, um, we, that was so rare that we got that kind of time. And the three of us came down here, and I, I set up one of those tours for us. And all the students were gone on winter break. I don't know if I want water or not. Um, um, all the students were on winter break. And the, the spiritual atmosphere at Cal was like, it was like just buzzing. It was like, like that, like just kind of vibrating like that. Whereas if you walk on Sproul when there's a lot of students, the spiritual environment's like <laughs> But when there's not students there engaging it and pulling stuff down and releasing stuff and yelling and singing and crying, then that stuff is just like <laughs> And that's how it felt when I was there. And I was walking under this big like canopy of that stuff in the atmosphere. And um, after the tour, I was flagging. My gosh, you guys, I used to wear so much neon. <laughs> You see these tabs on my Bible? That's how I used to dress. <laughs> and I used to wave flags a lot. I still love waving flags, <laughs> but um, I, I, I overstimulated myself so much. Now I wear a lot of black and gray <laughs> to calm down after a few years of that. Um, it was super charismatic and loved colors. Uh, anyway, so I'm wearing bright neon and I'm flagging. My God, what are you saying? What are you telling me? <laughs> What's going on? And, and then he's like, be quiet. Stop talking. And I stopped. And there's this, there's this circle in the bricks right in front of Sather Gate. And I'm like, 
that seems like an epic place to sit. <laughs> so I, I just got down on my knees. Oh, man. Yeah, I got down on my knees. And I listened. I just sat and I got real quiet. And what I heard changed my life. It was God crying. And he said, who will exalt my name in this place? 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 And I was terrified. It was heavy. I started reasoning. Lord, you are calling me to go. I will go. If you want me to go to Berkeley, I'll go. I wanted that special word to feel like it's called and important. But then when I heard his cry, I stopped. Because I love him. And he's crying. I thought about it all the way home. When we're driving through the mountains to get back to our house in Tahoe, it was pitch dark. So long to get home. And I was just sitting in the back seat. My parents were driving, talking, and I was just engaging the Lord. And I said, I'll go. I'll exalt your name there. Send me. When a baby falls, gets hurt, starts crying, needs help. No mom or dad's like, oh, I'll go as soon as she starts saying, mommy, come. No. Mom and dad both race to the baby. Someone gets there first, or both, and then the baby's just wrapped in a hug and getting all the love. Lovers shouldn't have to articulate the names of their lovers to get what they need. Let's read Matthew chapter 22. We love Matthew in this church. <laughs> We're going to be here forever still. Okay. Um, I'm going to read this. I might go kind of quickly, but then I'm going to highlight the, the points that are like, like Jesus is like, go there. Okay, so um, another parable. <laughs> Jesus speaks to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who'd been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and they went off, 
one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized the king's servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army. I would, I would send my army too. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Keep reading. There's another guy that gets in trouble in this parable. He, he shows up not dressed properly and yeah, gets in trouble. But verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. It's not always a tailor-made invitation, you guys. That's where the Lord started speaking to me about cutting out the me-centered mentality when it comes to loving a place. The only difference between the ones that are called and the ones that are chosen, I used to want to be chosen. I was like, God, choose me. How do I know if I'm chosen? You want to get chose? <laughs> the only difference between those who are called and those who are chosen is that the chosen say yes. That's the difference. The next thing is that we, um, to get our hearts in this place of loving like he does, uh, seeing as he sees. Ezekiel 37. Let's go there. Verse 1. Ezekiel is another prophet. The Lord's speaking to him about the land and the mess. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. And he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Not what anyone else says about the bones. 
Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you'll come to life, and you'll know that I'm the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. We need to agree with God. We need to see what God sees. Sometimes, Christians church outside of Berkeley likes to give commentary on the Bay Area. Sometimes the church in Berkeley likes to give commentary and we all feel so prophetic. That's a dark corner, that's a dark corner, that's a mess. And we see the bones. We're so good at seeing bones. But you don't have to be a prophet to see bones. We feel all that's spiritually dark and I've, I've done this. You walk around, I'm so spiritually sensitive. Can't go anywhere out there. <laughs> That's not what we need to do. <laughs> That's not our calling. That's not prophetic. That's not impressive. I don't care how sensitive I am. If I don't agree with God, it doesn't matter. If I don't agree with God, it doesn't matter. He only, the, the, man, the man only started prophesying when he started agreeing with God. When he said, call them to get together. Call the skin, call the tendons, prophesy to the breath. He was seeing what God was seeing, so he started speaking that. That's agreeing with God. I get so angry. I get so angry sometimes when, like I love, I, don't get me wrong, I love the church, I love the church, but I, I do get angry when the church starts seeing all the bones in the Bay Area, but can't see the prophetic word of the Lord that's been hanging over our region since the beginning of time. It's already written. Oh, he just wants people to agree with him. He's got so many prophetic words. You just do an internet search, prophetic words, Berkeley, and stuff will come up. I bet, I bet people in this church have a bunch of them documented because they've, they've seen so much more of, this, of the history of this land than I have. Mama was born and raised here. The Lord loves, he's got so many good things to say got so many promises 
We need to speak life. It hurts God when we say negative things over our region. It's worse when we feel good about ourselves because of how well we see the darkness and the brokenness. That's not prophetic. Would we speak about our families? This is another tool Joel gave me. Hey, Joel. Um, <laughs> would, we, would we speak about our families the way we allow words to be spoken over our land? No. Well, I hope not. Um, I wouldn't. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Nothing about Jesus is dead. Nothing about Jesus is dead. So when we're only seeing the dead things and that's all we're speaking around over our city, that has nothing to do with Jesus. My students and I have been interceding over the campus. We've been doing some ministry on ACG nights with a resolve to see as God sees. And when we see a mess, um, we always perceive a mess. Okay, there's like a heavy too like oh there's like some demonic stuff happening here um but we don't speak to the mess we prophesy it doesn't sound like oh there's a demon it sounds like jesus is alive the demons have no chance and as we've been agreeing with god and seeing as he sees on campus we've seen we've seen some pretty amazing angels like when when you agree with God, it actually allows your eyes to see what he's doing. We know the will of God. We see the will of God. We speak the will of God. And this is our city. So if some news anchor on the East Coast starts disrespecting our region, and we agree, our agreement actually adds weight to the city's burden and battle with darkness. But if we say no and speak life over our region, over our city, which voice do you think heaven's gonna listen to? Dude on the East Coast or you? You, you have authority here. If you're a student and you feel like, oh, I'm only gonna be here for a few more semesters, I don't know how to like really pick this up. Like you have authority here. You buy into this land. Some people in our church have been buying some property. I get so excited. They're like, sustained revival. Shout out Kevin Chen. <laughs> so happy. Cancino. Longfields. No, we're not going anywhere. We have authority here. If we say no and speak life over Berkeley, like if we say no to the, the darkness and speak life, heaven responds to us. We're the owners. We're the sons and daughters. But when we agree with the bad things, it's like we're telling the enemy, here, you drive. How do we enter that authority? We've got to commit to the land we need to open our heart 
to being vulnerable and really letting our roots go deep here. Being willing to get hurt and live life here. Which brings me to a topic called go home. I want to read out of Mark. Chapter 5. Verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from behind the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet and no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and he'd cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. Jesus is so smart. The evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So now these spirits and their carriers drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. He told them about the pigs as well. Then, then the, the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. But he said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. man was delivered from a life of torment 
then he gets to sit closing in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. It's the first piece that we get to see in his, in his life. People don't understand. They don't, they, don't, they don't want Jesus. They don't understand. They don't want Jesus. They don't understand. They don't want Jesus. And they plead with him to leave. God, my heart. Just saves a man. They beg him to leave. So he does. He leaves. And the sweet man begs to go with him. I would too. Who wouldn't want to stay in the comfort of Jesus' feet forever? This story is about right order. There are physical places that literally feel close to like the feet of Jesus. Like if you could imagine what that would feel like physically. I've been to places where heaven is like just right there. Reading feels like that for me. Tahoe feels like that for me. It's just so peaceful. And, and sitting at Jesus' feet is right order, isn't it? Ministering to the Lord is right order. Ministering to the Lord first is right order. That means responding to his heart. No matter what. We are called to choose the better thing, like Mary, who was sitting at Jesus' feet, and stay in his presence. But that's a, that's a hard posture. Every one of us right now, we can kneel in our hearts and be right at the feet of Jesus. That's a hard place. It's not a physical place, fam. We are in a spiritual war. There are places Jesus cries out for and longs to go but the people there don't want him. They don't want him to come because they don't know him. And that's when right order looks like saying no to physical comfort to carry Jesus into places he can't go where he isn't always wanted. Sometimes the day feels like that. Sometimes. Jesus says whoever believes in me will do the things I do and greater things because I go to the Father I wonder if one of the greater things is being able to carry Jesus somewhere he couldn't go unless we carried him can't imagine something more precious to him he wants the nation saved he wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge He tells the man, go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord's done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man goes. He chooses to answer the Lord, to be brave with his heart and go back even to that, what was a really dark place for him and to make his home on earth there. Our home is heaven. That's our, that's our home home. God is looking for people who are willing to let their roots grow deep. This man proclaims the word of the Lord, and everyone's amazed. One of the first missionaries.
want to speak to people who, uh, basically it's everyone in this room, <laughs> people who are here for now and those who stay. I sometimes get caught up in the stories of the people who do the going, the going to make disciples of all nations. My heart burns for the nations. My heart burns for the nations. And like Paul's story, I've loved the dramatic tales, the adventurous ones when there's danger and peril and shipwrecks, and, and I've longed to love Jesus like that. We need people who have that life calling. The calling to go, go, go. There are people who carry that mantle. Some of you are hearing that call from the Lord and your seasons are changing. Some of you will likely be changing cities, regions, and, and being called to go. I honor that call. Praise him. He's sending you. Now we I, I just wanna I just wanna like not I don't I feel like God is challenging the way I think, and so I feel like he wants to challenge all of our thinking that we we see the heroes that go, like Paul. But there were so many in the Bible we don't hear about. It was the ones who stayed. The ones who built a whole church in Ephesus for Jesus. Discipled generations of people. I love the heroes who go. But as I've grown in the Lord and, and become a woman, I, I'm less drawn to the drama as I was. Or even that pure adventure for Jesus' sake. I want steadfastness. I want, I want faithfulness. I want the courage to stay. God wants this for our house. That if he never told us to leave, if he, like, like if he never tells some of us to leave, we won't. Because we've already heard him cry. And, and for us to believe through and through that his cry is precious enough to sustain our mission. And that cry is, and his presence is, is, is strong enough to fill us with joy in the staying. I'm very inspired by the portion in his, the, the portion carried by the people throughout history who stayed. The churches in every country, in every century who committed to loving the land. Unsung heroes. Unsung. God wants us to see the Great Commission in its fullness. The beautiful part about go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the part that says teach them to observe all things I have commanded you. Guys, all things takes a lifetime. All things takes time and history and commitment. It's that discipleship where you're in the, the mundane and you're doing life together. All things 
is, is real life. I'd propose that in our culture, it's actually harder to stay um, because it takes a different kind of brave. It, it means letting your roots grow pretty deep. And it means not taking an out. Not being consumers, being lovers. Where does that courage come from? It's from him. We need him. We need his love. He's worth it. He's worth all of it. The going and the staying. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. There's a mandate on this house to love this region, to love these cities, to love Berkeley. So we get to celebrate what he's done and the words he's already spoken. We get to answer his cry and see what he sees and be willing to stay, willing to, to go home. But some of this we haven't understood. Or maybe in some of those ways we've talked about today, we've, we've compromised love for our city and our hearts. We're called to be watchmen on the wall. And in some ways, the walls have been breached, beloved. Some of you are feeling a conversation with Jesus to have. Where you want to you want to start listening to a cry, or you want to you want to pick up the cry that maybe got laid down, or you want to talk to him about how your words affect the land. You just want to love him well. Create space for that now. Can I invite the worship team up? Um, hi, everyone. <laughs> yeah. You stay up here. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted you to preach this message is because we've been ministering in the city since, um, I don't know, 
folks who, I mean, even before the ark began, um, when I came here as a student, we've been praying and interceding um, on the steps of Sproul, um, by, by the clock tower. We've been pouring our tears and our prayers into this city and this land. And there have been people who have been doing so before we even got here. And then as the move of God shifted in, um, in I think, in 95 and in 2000, and the, and the move and the power of the Holy Spirit started increasing in more and more pertinent ways, I really feel like the Lord has prophesied even to people who don't live here what he wants to do here. It's not because this is a particularly special place apart from other places. God is moving everywhere. But there is a very special assignment and thing that he is doing. And I just want to just call out and say that there is a voice that the Lord is drawing out to some of you. It doesn't have to be in your flesh or in your emotions. There is a spirit that is calling some people to know that you are going to be a part of the work and the army to bring the presence of God and his move of God here into this region. This is a region of incredible influence in our nation and because it's important in our nation also globally. There is something happening, has happened ever, I mean, for as long as we know, but also if you even just look at the Jesus People movement, and if you look at what has happened with the, with the free speech movement, and just a lot of things, there's something really interesting. There's these areas, and I don't want to get into the funny language, but there are certain specific areas that I think the Lord has preordained for certain specific spiritual activity. And I really believe there's a certain spiritual activity that God wants to unlock for the people of God's access so that miracles and people become, get saved. And that is the very thing that we have been praying and other people in our nation who have had their ear close to the chest and the heartbeat of God have been praying and wanting to be released for a really long time. And when I remember when I met Lauren, there was a, there was a echo of something that God has been putting and birthed in her. And so it's not a coincidence that we have you leading the college group because there is something really, really significant about this university and our tie to the campus. And the word of Ezekiel 37 about speaking life to the dry bones is one of our foundational scriptures that launched this ministry. It is one of the visions and the dreams that God gave to us. We need to become a people that do not see like the world sees, that when we look here, we don't just see dry bones. And I want to ask today, for those of you who want to be a part of the voice that speaks life to these dry bones, I would love for you to stand up. I want you to respond and have and say yes you don't have to love this area in your emotion and your flesh, but, but the Lord is calling us to love this land in his heart and in his spirit, to be a part of the heart that brings life here. I think Lauren's word was so significant and so prophetic and so in line with what God has wanted to do in our church and through this place. I really believe that God has been asking 
Not the people who don't live here, but the people who live here, who are called here. Who of you are going to love this city? Who of you are going to help me fortify these walls? Who of you are going to stand and watch and declare and cry out day and night for this city, for this land? Are your voices going to bring life and build up the kingdom of God, or are you going to be a part of the voices that tear it down? Are you going to see the beauty that God intended for this place or the place that you have been positioned Are we going to be those who bring blessing, or are we going to be those who bring a curse? In Numbers 23, verse 8, it says, How can I curse whom God has not cursed, and how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? And so right now, for those who are saying yes, just open your heart. And even if you're not sure, that's okay. That we'll, 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 we'll pray there too. But, but Lord, we want to say yes and respond like Isaiah did. Yes, here we are. Send us. Let us be your mouths your hands, your feet. Let us know your heart so intimately that it possesses us and then determines and changes the atmosphere by which and where we go. Lord God, we repent if we have contributed in any way of speaking death over our land. Change, touch our lips, Father God. Cleanse our lips that we may be those who breathe life and bring life here, God. And I'm going to pray for Lauren, too. And Father God, I just thank you for Lauren, for this word that you had stewarded in her for so long. And in Jesus' name, we just want to continue to release a fire. A fire for her to preach your word, for her to carry your anointing to the places that you have sent her. Lord God, we want to be a people surrender to your power, to your Holy Spirit. And we want to go and we want to bring you there. And we say that, Lord God, everywhere we go. And we just anoint and bless Lauren and the authority that you've given her to preach this, to live this, to carry this, and to change this city. Amen. And for those who are still asking God, What is my tie to the local body and to the local church and the land that you've called me? Just continue. We just speak a blessing. Father God, I bless those who are still searching and asking. It's okay that we don't know today, this second. But Lord God, I just pray a leaning in, an openness of heart. 
May we not make our decisions based on our comfort. May we be those who bring light to the darkest, farthest reaches of the corners of the world, wherever you are calling us, God. And may we be those who are obedient and honor your voice and your call. In Jesus' name, amen.